0: Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Doing this one at the very last minute because I'm getting on my first international flight in just a few days and have just been on the phone with attendees of our Mexico City event with the event team. Super exciting. Cannot wait. Although COVID was obviously an incredibly challenging time, you know, and still is for so many reasons, the effect that it's had on the online business space. Has been strange to watch. You know, so many of us lost businesses or changed businesses, but also so many folks in the community just changed their lives economically. And it's just such a frothy time. Like, there's easy access to capital, and the asset values have gone way up during this time period. And a lot of folks are dealing with a lot more business than they were two or three years ago. And I want to dig into that a little bit because. I'm in a similar situation. We've got a lot more transactions going on. we got a lot more people on our team. And I'm asking myself the questions like, how do I manage all of this? And how do I build an organization that has systems so that our team can be aligned and drive towards goals? And these things can be complicated. So I've been digging into books on this topic. And today we're going to talk about traction, which we brought up last week. And uh, I just want to drop my email address here at the top. If you've got an online business with more than 10 employees and you've implemented a system that's simple and that really works, I'd love to hear from you. Where do you find this system? So many of us are both growing and restructuring. So I think it's kind of an interesting time to take a look at you know, what are the operating systems that are running our businesses, so to speak. And that's a segue to today's topic, which is EOS or entrepreneurial operating system. Absolutely love when I log into our forum, the DC and see like, sort of an in-depth post by a member who is just sharing their experiences in their business. And today's episode comes directly from one of those posts. Today's guest, Neil Parekh, has implemented EOS in his amazing location-independent business, which is called Made This, and provides cleaning services for vacation rentals. He's also recently franchise the model, which is incredibly cool. And he tells a story of how he came about that later on in the episode. What's cool is that he kind of has his own take on EOS. One of my critiques of traction, it's really complicated and there's a lot going on. So he has a concept called implementing EOS Lite in four phases which is why Neil believes we don't necessarily need the full kahuna, like employing an expensive EOS branded implementer or following the system to the letter of the EOS law to see results. And Neil's reporting some wonderful results in his experience. So I thought rather than having some quote expert on the show, I wanted to bring you a practitioner who's actually done it. So Neil has kindly agreed to come on the pod and talk about what's worked for him and frankly why he needs it now. Because Like many of us, his business has grown a lot since he was last on the pod just over three years ago. I started out this conversation by asking Neil about the current state of Made This.
1: You have two corporate offices. One's in Los Angeles, one's in San Francisco. So those are corporate locations in terms of homes we service. And we do both residential as well as vacation rental cleaning. We also have two franchise locations. One is in Denver. The newest one is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So we launched the franchise operations this year. And we've been around for corporate locations since 2013. So about eight years. And how many employees are we talking about? Cleaners in the corporate side, probably between 30 to 35, 30 to 40. Some part-time, some full-time. For operations staff, probably about eight. And most of those are spread around the world. And then, of course, the franchisees have their own operations that they're running.
0: And you're teaching the franchisees how to do this, essentially.
1: We are from start to finish. So there's a two-month training period for that. Getting them set up, doing a lot of the technical stuff for them. Stuff that we know works well in the offline world. Stuff which their competitors are probably not doing. We just set it up for them. Train them and then provide them support for them to keep going.
0: It's amazing how you did that
1: maybe we'll get into a little bit of that.
0: Obviously, you have to be systematized to sell your system as a franchisee.
1: Which is where US comes
0: in, yeah. Yeah, which is where today's topic comes in. Those eight operational staff, are they mostly sales, customer service? What is the makeup of that team?
1: Split mostly between sales and operations. So uh, you have dispatch, where a lot of cleaners might need help with same-day assistance or customers might need help with something that's happening the same day. Let's say scheduling cleaners. Many cleaners are Hispanic. They speak Spanish. So a lot of our staff is in Latin America to be able to communicate with them. On the other hand, you have sales staff. The sales staff pick up the customer calls. That staff is in South Africa. We talked about this on the last pod, but if you think about the South African accent, it sounds very British sounding. A lot of Americans love it. So we route our sales calls over to them.
0: Part of the reason we wanted to speak with you today is you've written an amazing post about your implementation of entrepreneur organizational system. I've read it multiple times. I'm thinking of doing it myself. And I've recently spoke with Carrie McKeegan, who applied it in her business and gave some of her perspective. So I'm hoping from a practitioner and with some years of hindsight, you can help the rest of us make good decisions about how, when, we might participate in some of the success you've seen here.
1: EOS, or Entrepreneur Operating System, it's a way to add a framework to your business in terms of setting a cadence for how you should be doing things, how any business should be operating. I kind of see it as a skeleton in which you build your business around. It just gives you a good framework, a good foundation. That's what it is. We implemented it into our business maybe two years ago now. The reason I did it is I didn't have a specific way I was running the organization. Meetings were kind of all over the place. I didn't have a good review system for team members. It was kind of just like, hey, how you doing? Here's how I think you're doing. Here's some money for your bonus. Like, okay. So nothing was really organized. And I just kind of wanted one system to say, hey, this is how we're running things. So that's what EOS does for you. It just gives you a framework to build your business off of in terms of meeting cadence, setting your vision, analyzing your people, you know, giving out bonuses. It's just a great framework for that.
0: It's fair to say it's like SMB for dummies. Like you have like corporations that have like a bunch of MBAs from schools that are, you know, or they have like decades of business practices that Create this giant shell. And then on our end, you have these bootstrappers who are like, oh my God, I made money doing this stuff. And now we've got like five or six of us making money doing this stuff. And there's like this big gap in the middle. Like, how do you structure a business for dummies, sort of thing? Is that what you mean by skeleton for a small business? It's like just the basics. Like, how often should you talk to your GM? How often should you do this?
1: Exactly. I I really like the explanation. And I would argue, even people who are like in MBAs don't get this type of knowledge because how do you create it? No one really teaches you anywhere saying, hey, this is exactly how a business should be running. These are the meetings you should be running. Entrepreneurship is really a free flowing type of art. That is what entrepreneurship is. And I like that this provides some structure to that. So I absolutely would describe it as organizational structure for dummies. If you're just starting out, you don't know what to do. Put this into place and at least you have some structure, some foundational work off of. So absolutely. I think it's a great description
0: we're gonna talk like a lot of general stuff maybe here at the top and then we'll start to dig down into the details, maybe do a little masterclass on how we can implement the way you did. But one of the th- things I felt when I was reading the book is like, Oh man, some of this is like unnecessarily complicated and a lot of it felt arbitrary. Like, dude, this guy Gino is just pulling this stuff out of his ass and like selling it to me. Like you could do this anyway. What is your response to that critique or childish emotion in response to the book?
1: You know what's kind of ridiculous? I kind of agree with you. Even after implementing it and liking it, I agree with you where I actually don't think you need specifically the brand name EOS in your company. You just need a operating system. I think they've done a fantastic job of making it easy for people to access. They have a book, they have coaches. It's a brand name, Traction and EOS. But if you have some operating system, it could accomplish 80% of what EOS provides for you. I think the attractive quality is that it gives small and medium sized businesses, a framework, which to go off of, it provides structure where there was no structure before. In in a very uncertain world, like entrepreneurship, people like structure, people like someone telling them, hey, this is how things should be done. Where most of business entrepreneurship is you just figuring it out. So I kind of loved the fact that this system said, Hey, we've tested this out a bunch of times, a lot of companies use this system, here's all the companies that use it, it works. And I could say, I know this works because other big, big companies use it. Let me latch onto this system. Oh, they made a book for it. Oh, they have consultants. They made this so damn easy for me to implement this. I'm just going to do this. What's your take
0: on the community of consultants around the EOS system? Carrie certainly had some opinions that for her it was a bit off putting how aggressive this sort of franchization or they've sort of equipped this army of consultants with differing levels of experience. It's allowed the consultants to essentially raise their rates because they're attaching their labor to this brand name. Do you have a take about on that?
1: I do. And I hope there's no EOS consultants listening to this podcast right now, because I think it's (laughs) unnecessary. I think EOS can be replaced with another operating system. Traction and EOS have done a fantastic job of branding, of making it easy for people to get into the system. And they've done that with the way their business model is set up with consultants, with the academy, with everything like that. I just think they're they're doing fantastic at sales and marketing themselves. So I actually would say you don't need an EOS branded consultant for the amount they're charging. You could probably get it done elsewhere and get the meat of what the system is anyways.
0: Yeah, and they can be 30K to the moon. So there's pricing all over the map here.
1: It's wild. And no matter who you talk to, they'll say, yeah, you, you could implement it at your size of business, right? And sometimes you just don't need all those bells and whistles at the size of business you're at. The thing which was... The most off putting for me, I guess, is you start with, let's say, a 10 year vision, which I think a lot of people might say, hey, that's good. You should start with a 10 year vision. I don't even know what I'm doing next year. How am I going to have a 10 year vision? Right. And that's the starting <laughs> point. So for a lot of size companies, it doesn't make sense, you know? So I went with a three year, two year, and one year vision. And that was great for me to get started because that's what my size company dictated. Now, maybe if you have a very large organization, some things in the book make a lot more sense. But for smaller companies, maybe people who don't have a massive C-suite or leadership team, you just don't need a lot of the things that are involved in the proper EOS rollout. There's, you
0: know, all different kinds of coaching platforms and eMyth and Style. I've heard eMyth is a little bit more process focused, EOS is a little bit more people focused. We're going to dig into how you analyze your people. But I do think it's actually kind of a business opportunity here. You know, Gino has a long track record in like the coaching industry and so he has like a lot of personal relationships that allowed him to do this, but you know, the book isn't that catchy, really. I mean, I think there's a possibility to do a version of Traction that's more focused on remote companies and that is simpler,
1: a lighter version.
0: Absolutely. A lighter version. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about today, which is essentially what you've developed, your own homebrew EOS, which is a light version that I'm hoping that in combination with the book and listening to this episode, Neil, that listeners today could actually go implement your light version of EOS. So that's where I'm going to start, which is what sort of results do you credit this system with? Are they hard business results? Or is it more of like a mindset, lifestyle, culture kind of stuff?
1: I think the results for us in terms of implementing EOS have been around tracking the health of the company more than anything. Everyone has heard the term of KPIs and having to track this and things like that, and you know you should be tracking. What's a KPI? Key performance indicator, which is metrics in your company to know if you're performing what you should be doing. An example for us would be, how many calls are we getting? How many bookings are we getting from those calls? What should it be? Is it 50%? If we're under 50%, we know we need to fix the sales process. Then you have KPIs for marketing, You know KPIs for customer retention for us, KPIs for callbacks related to cleanings. A big part of the system, which has been the biggest benefit for me, has been what's called the scorecard, which we'll dive into. And the scorecard pretty much forces you to set the KPIs of a company. So the biggest benefit for me has been knowing the health of my company at any given time, any given week, because I have KPIs tracked and I have people tracking them. So I could always take a look at the spreadsheet and say, I know what's wrong with my company. This one metric is off. We need to fix that.
0: Whereas for me, who has not yet implemented this, for me, it's like revenue and how I'm feeling.
1: <laughs> <There's a> yep. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, the world is falling off today. Just, it's completely I got a outed. nasty
0: email. The company's in terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to sell the whole thing.
0: Storm into a meeting. You're like, what's going on in here? <laughs> Very emotional based. It sounds like. It's a lot of work up front to set up EOS. When do you start seeing the results?
1: I think it's a lot of work if you have to retroactively install it in your company, right? I think there's ways to do this on the light version, which you could do from the startup. So for our franchisees, we have them do many things from this from the very beginning. So it's not going to be a heavier lift for us because we have to implement it into our company as things were already running. To be honest, it took probably three quarters for us to feel kind of more comfortable with it from a leadership team and probably over a year until it started to trickle down until my leadership team's respective teams operation and sales.
0: What were the resistance points, Neil?
1: It feels a little bit awkward and clunky at first because you're going to go through a very formatted meeting structure and, you know, go through something called, let's say, analyzing rocks, which is what are the biggest things we need to hit this quarter to really hit our annual goals. And everyone has to report their rocks and describe if they're on track or off track. There's just a specific flow of the meeting, which feels unnatural. It feels just kind of awkward, especially, you know, if you don't have a bunch of people to delegate work out to. So I think it does take a while just for the habit to be built saying, oh, this is how the meeting flow works. You know, you're going to mark things on track, off track. You don't discuss it until the issues list. It's just, it's very counterintuitive in many cases.
0: There's a secret to why so many listeners of this show are in the know when it comes to SEO. That's right. They call smashdigital.com. The founder, Travis Jameson, has been on the show countless of times. And I got to say, a heartfelt and honestly, has been an incredible inspiration and has done so much for the listeners of this show in terms of them ranking better and creating more results for themselves and their families. That's my copy. Here's the ad copy. So many listeners of this pod use the services of smashdigital.com. They really know what they're talking about. This is a skin-in-the-game operation. That means they use the exact same methods for their clients that they do to rank their own portfolio of profitable businesses. They are selling the strategies that they are using. They are practitioners, and it's incredibly empowering to deal with no BS experts who are just straight up and honest about what they can can't do for your rankings and SEO in general. Bottom line is this SmashDigital.com provides SEO services for people who understand SEO. So if you want to have smash digital in your business's back pocket or just learn more about what they do, check them out over at SmashDigital.com. digital.com and big shout out to the team over there for sponsoring the TNBA pod. So let's talk then We're going to structure this episode after your post called Implementing EOS Light." So there was three key components for your company, which is structure. This is the right roles and seats. Systems, to make sure all your systems are documented and there's sustainability and accountability. And this includes meetings, goals, and the rhythm or cadence of those meetings.
1: How I kind of see it is I see... Setting the vision first, you go to the people and you make sure you have the right people in the right seats, which includes like setting an accountability chart, which is kind of an org chart with the job descriptions mixed in, having a review system to like kind of analyze the people and base quarterly reviews off of. Then you kind of go into the data, what we talked about with scorecards, analyzing the health of your company. Then you have into something what I call is kind of the maintenance mode. How do you maintain the system that you've created? Well, you have weekly level 10 meetings and you have quarterly reviews to discuss how you're going and how you're tracking to the rocks
0: now when you say level 10 meeting that's like an eos branded type of meeting
1: level 10 meeting is an eos term which means you rate the meeting on a scale of one to ten and the idea is oftentimes i think we've all gone to meetings where you don't really know the point of the meeting you're talking about one topic you jump to another topic and then you start talking about something else at the end you're like okay it's been an hour and a half we don't really know why we had this meeting So it's a very structured meeting format, which says, hey, at the beginning, you start with what we call kudos, which is kind of celebrations for five minutes. Then you go and review scorecard, which is the KPIs of the company. Then you review the rocks, which are the biggest goals that your company needs to hit in order to hit your annual goals. Then you go into just review of the team. And then you go into last week's action items, which is things you've set as you guys need to accomplish from last week to this week. And finally, you hit something which is very important, which is called the issues list. That's one singular place to put all of your top issues. And therefore, you could decide, hey, what are the three most pressing issues we actually need to discuss in the time that's given to us? Let's only knock out those three. So it kind of keeps things on track and keeps things maintained.
0: I've kind of felt like when we have mediocre or less than that meetings, it's a lot of everybody's more or less wanting to feel heard on a certain issue. Does the structure of a level 10 issue address that?
1: It does help a lot. You know, you could say it eliminates maybe at least 50% of that from happening because you never discuss it until you get to the issues list. Someone brings up a topic, you don't discuss it. You say, great, that's an issue. Let's go and add it to the issues list. When all the issues are on the issues list, it's kind of like you're pushing everything down. Then you as a company could decide what are the top three things we need to hit. That way you're not discussing minuscule things when you have a lot of time that everyone's in a room.
0: Let's then walk through the phases of how you implemented it. So phase one is this analysis of, are my people in their correct seats? Wait, what's the seating chart supposed to look like anyways? Help me do this. I have a a big five-foot whiteboard sitting right next to me, Neil. After I get off the phone, I want to follow in your footsteps and get a sense for whether or not my people are in the right seats. How might I implement this?
1: First thing is you're going to create what's called an accountability chart, which think about it as an org chart with a small bullet points of the job description under each of the rules. Key point here is do not put the person's name in that role. You're going to create the ideal structure, not for how your organization is today, but how you want it to look in a year from now. So once you have that created with what your org chart should look like, and here's an example, ours would be, we have a general manager, we have our ops manager, under the ops manager, we have... Two daily operations coordinators, then we have a sales department. under that we have a sales associate and an Airbnb sales associate. and under that, I would have job descriptions for them about what their main points should be. First, you map that out.
0: Now are you dreaming this up like, I would really like a GM, so I'm going to put one on the whiteboard?" or is it like, "Ah, we're kind of already structured this way, but I'm just
1: getting rid of the names. Dreaming it up. Think about it as a blank canvas, and this is the ideal organization of what you'd want. I'm not going to map. That's why I think doing a 10-year vision is kind of nuts because I'm not going to map. I'm going to have a GM of North America. I'm going to have a GM of Europe. It's just irrelevant. I like to map a year from now, what do I want my organization to look like and what are the pieces I need for that? So you have that on a blank canvas next to your wall. After that, you look at the people you have in your company. It's kind of like a game where you're matching the people with the actual job role and the accountability chart you've set up. So you look at the people and you say, does this person fit in the role that I've defined here with the job description I have defined? And you start placing the pieces of the tile of your people onto that board. You will find that some people just don't fit with a job description you've identified. And keep in mind, you've identified what is the ideal organizational chart for your organization a year from now, and you've already identified that someone does not fit that role. That's how you know someone might not be a fit for organization. Now, there's a couple of pieces of that. I like the analogy of you know, you have a bus, everyone's on the bus, everyone's on the seat on the bus, and they're driving, it could be the right person to be on the bus, but they're in the wrong seat, meaning maybe they're a daily operations coordinator, but they thrive at being a sales associate. Oh, look, here's a job description for sales. Let me go and move that person over there and see if they thrive in that role instead.
0: Are you thinking at this point, you know, about the KPIs of those roles, or, you know, how much money you have for them? Are you thinking like, okay, a GM is going to cost me, you know, 15,000 a month or whatever? Like, are you thinking about in those
1: terms? loosely but i'm not mapping it yet for example when i did this i did not have a gm and i still don't have a gm but how do gm slot over there and for that eventually when i put names in i'm just gonna put my name in i put my name as ceo as well as gm and i know that eventually i want a gm in there and that's slotted in there but i'm not really thinking about the cost yet i just want the ideal structure down
0: okay so cool phase two which you've titled brilliantly should we be friends or not?: nah? <laughs> Okay, so now you have the ideal structure. Do we have the ideal team? Instantly, I can imagine seeing some discord between like who's on the bus and you know, how it's going or whatever. How do you take the next actions here?
1: So once you've identified the people who should be on the different seats, one big part of EOS is giving each person a measurable for their job role so they know that they're performing. So each job role has a measure of success. Otherwise, how do they know if they're going to do something properly or not? Once I've identified, Dan, that everyone has the job role, they're in the right seats on the bus, and there's someone who's unfortunately not going to make the cut, and I don't see another seat on the bus for them, I'd probably have to let that person go or find a way to transition them out of the company over time into something that might be more suitable for them outside of made this. That's something we had to do. You know, we had a couple of people who, after going through this process, identified just as not good fits for where we wanted to go. Not where we are right now, but where we wanted to go. So I had to help them transition out of the company in order to have a more clean organization.
0: I'm looking at like an actual spreadsheet as to how you're doing this analysis right now.
1: Yeah. So this goes into the other part of reviews. And this is something I did not have. You know, I've been to quarterly reviews where it's just like, how do you think you're doing? This is how I think you're doing. Here's some money. Let's keep on going. So now with the EOS system, there's a structure based off of your core values, as well as the job description on how the person is doing a structured quarterly review. And that's what I loved about this system. What this structure is, is you have your core values, which you set at the very beginning of the process, which for us is own it, deliver on promises, keep it positive and Kaizen, which is constantly improve. So these are just kind of the four pillars of our company. And anytime someone violates that, we make a note of it, we let them know, and we also add it to a sheet which we'll discuss on the quarterly review. On the quarterly review, if someone, you know, you rate them above the bar or below the bar, are they exemplifying that core value? Yes or no? Simple as that. You just write that on on the quarterly review. Then there's another part of it called get it, want it, capacity. Do they get their job role? Do they want the job role? And do they have the mental or time capacity to fulfill the job role? If any of those are no, you have to remove them from the organization. So you're grading them both on core values as well as job function. And usually you'll give them a time period to fix it, right? If someone is below the bar on owning it, I'll bring up certain examples for them and say, hey, look, you're below the bar. This is what I want to see for the next quarter to get you to where you want to go. It looks like for your job role, get them on capacity. You're all above. Yes. So you're on the right seat on the bus. I just need you to show this core value a little bit more. So that's how you could grade them and have a more structured, objective approach for the quarterly review.
0: I like this. I mean, you know, I know I make the arbitrary critique and, and that kind of stuff, but I see the value in this. And I think I can understand why when upon, you know, hearing the details as you're laying them out, these are just quality basics, blocking and tackling things that good companies have implemented. When you implemented it, what surprised you? What, what sort of things came out at you, details, actions you had to perform based on your analysis?
1: I think when implementing it, and even now, it does feel a little bit awkward to tell people that they're violating a core value, right? Right. someone's violating, keep it positive. How do I tell them, hey, you're violating, keep it positive. Here's some examples of you not keeping it positive. So I feel like like
0: negatively reviewing them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fix your personality, right? In a good way. (laughs) So I will say it, it, it still is a little bit awkward for me on the core value part of it. Even though I understand why this exists, I feel like it's the most benefit when I need to analyze the person as opposed to giving them a direct review should this person be part of the team? Let's just go through this exercise. Are they exemplifying these core values? Yes or no? And there's specific situations where you might be frustrated at a team member. And then you look at the core values and analyze them against it. And you might say, you know what? They are trying. It's not that they're not exemplifying these things. It's just that X, Y, and Z happened. So I think it gives me a better way to analyze my team. And it still does feel a little bit awkward for me to grade them based off the core values.
0: How about that org chart? Did that change significantly how you were running the company?
1: It helped me remove some pieces and have a little bit more clarity. EOS advocates you updating that and keeping that updated. To be honest, I didn't. And I think I'm okay currently with not updating it. I think if my goals were very lofty for growth and I needed a completely new structure for my organization to get to a certain level, I'd probably have to constantly update it. But for me, I did it once and I think that was okay.
0: So phase one, are my people in their correct seats? Phase two, should we be friends or not? Nah? And I think this really underlines this kind of people focus of EOS when you first get into it. That's kind of core. That's certainly what you've pulled out here. I know that you have to like define core values and there's a lot of like vision stuff you typically would do at the beginning. But again, we're doing this in a light version. Phase three, you title, where the hell are we all going? Great question. You talk about phase three as clarifying your company priorities and KPIs. Help us to get a vision into what that might look like.
1: What you want to do is set the vision of where you want to go as a company, and then you tell your team, which now you've vetted, you run through the process, and you have the people in the right seats on the bus. You tell them where you want to go as a company so everyone has a shared vision. By the way, they also have their key metrics on the job role that will help you achieve that vision. So a lot of this is taking the grunt work you've kind of done at the beginning of US, your three-year vision. For us, for example, it'd be a revenue goal. It'd be a number of booking goal for cleanings, and it'd be a franchisee expansion goal. So we have the vision of where we're going to go, and then we share it with the team. And the key point here is just because you share a vision and you have team members who could execute on it, that doesn't mean it's going to get done. You need to track this. And I think that's where a lot of this comes into play with EOS, which has been the most helpful for me, is having proper KPIs and having proper scorecards to know that you are trending towards where you want to go. I think what they might teach you in MBA class and business school would be, look at your P&L, and you could figure out like, if you're tracking towards the right financial metrics. I would say forget the P&L up to a certain extent. You know where you're going as a company based off the key performance indicators, both as a company level and also on, on the people level to see if they're tracking towards what they should be doing.
0: Have you found on occasion that you've selected the wrong KPIs?
1: I have. And that was the process which probably took us a year to really clarify.
0: Because you're coming to meetings and you have like this awkward KPI update, right? And you're like, oh, actually, we don't want that.
1: Yeah, like it just doesn't really fit. I think a big issue that we have is around cleaners, right? Getting new cleaners in the system, getting them onboarded, things like that. So for a while, we're kind of tracking how good are the cleaners that we currently have, right? Because that would limit complaints, everything like that. So we came up with some loose metric of saying, hey, we need 75% of the cleaners to be A-team cleaners. A-team cleaners are tracked by these five metrics. When we're reporting it every single week, it kind of became like, you know, you would look at the metric and say, I don't really know what this is telling me. I don't know if this is the right metric that we should be tracking. Sometimes it's overcomplicated. What I found with KPIs, if it's too complicated, it's not gonna work. So over time, what you do is just you realize you just need to simplify the KPIs and really ask yourself, what is it that defines the health of my company? Can that be easily trackable? If you think there's something that can define the health of your company, but you can't track it, I'd say don't even add it to your KPIs because it's not tracked. It's not measured, You can't action it at all. So only put things in your KPIs, which you can action and get the data for very easily.
0: You mentioned this sounds simple, but it's actually really complicated to figure out what these KPIs are. I've noticed that. And it seems like there's a lot of upside there in saying, this is actually a KPI that we're empowered to affect. Whereas a lot of team members, when they look at revenue, they feel very disempowered because they don't know how to pull the lever on revenue all the time if they're not on the blower pulling in big contracts.
1: Exactly. It's kind of like if you see the revenue and then under it, you have KPIs, which are kind of like a puppeteer machine, right? Where it- what moves the revenue, it's these KPIs and everyone could see the strings, right? And once you have a shared vision, everyone knows the KPIs, everyone knows what to track to. They know, hey, if I affect this KPI, I'm pulling that string on the puppet, which moves revenue, which what we've also implemented is a profit program based off of that. I think this is the biggest takeaway for me is just getting those key KPIs in the place to really pull the levers and let everyone know about it.
0: All right. So phase one, are my people in the correct seats? Phase two, should we be friends or not? Nah? Phase three, where the hell are we going? And phase four, how the hell do I track my team's performance and fix it when it's not working? All right, so you've laid out your vision. You know, that's part of what the revenue goals, the KPIs underneath that is revenue goals. So, how then are you tracking this?
1: So, a big part is scorecards and rocks, which are kind of pillars of the EOS system. Scorecards, what we talked about, which is a lot of the KPIs for the company and the great part of EOS after a while, when your team takes it and runs with it, they're going to push it down to their own team. So now my operations team runs EOS themselves. My sales team runs EOS themselves with the level 10 meeting. Does each team member get a scorecard or does each team get a scorecard? Each team gets a scorecard. Operations has their own scorecard. We as a company have our own scorecard from the management level sales has their own scorecard. And then within the scorecard, each team member has one metric they need to be tracking. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're only responsible for that one metric, but they're the ones who are going to input the data. So everyone else can see how we're performing as a group for that one metric.
0: And so the scorecard, is it only made up of KPIs?
1: Yes, it has to be measurable, has to be measurable. There's always the KPI a goal and then where we are on a weekly basis to that goal. Always. If you can't track it, don't even put it in there.
0: Okay, so we're talking about scorecards. That's one system to track where the hell we're going. The other system is called ROCKS. Describe what ROCKS
1: are. So ROCKS are kind of the hot topics or hot issues that you need to get handled this quarter in order to move towards your goal. So at the beginning, we sent the vision, saying, hey, here's a three-year vision, here's a one-year vision you share with the team. Then you break it down on a quarterly basis, and you'd say, look, here's the biggest things as a company we need to accomplish. Here's five things Then you have your team members as part of the rocks discussion, and you delegate each of those rocks to your team member based off of who's most relevant for that rock. It could be something like, hey, in order to get to the next phase of growth, we really need to implement this new software. Who's going to own it? Or, hey, we need to get a Google reviews to 340 by the end of the quarter to keep on top. Who's going to own it? And whoever owns it is going to be tracked on that weekly during the level 10 meeting because you have to report to everyone how you're tracking towards that. You either say I'm on target or I'm off target. If you're off target, you add it in the issues list and you could discuss it with the team. But the benefit of the ROCS is that it keeps you accountable and it keeps it in your line of sight what your goals are on a weekly basis to track towards your annual goals. Oftentimes what happens is we get to the end of the year and everyone's like, oh, shoot, it's the end of the year or the end of the quarter. I need to hit my numbers. And there's a flurry of activity at the very end because you kind of forgot what your goals are for that quarter. The benefit of the rock system is you are tracking it weekly. You're holding your team accountable to that and everyone knows what they should be doing to hit the company goal at the end.
0: As an outsider, I interpret rocks as essentially projects outside the typical call of duty of a day-to-day workday. Is that fair to say?
1: I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. There will be some rocks which are very relevant to the workday. For example, a rock of ours would be onboard six new cleaners this quarter. That's part of our normal course of business, but we know how critical that is to achieve the goals we want because it's so critical to hitting our booking number, which is the revenue goals, and achieving the annual goal, which also feeds into the profit share for the team. So everything is kind of linked together.
0: So how is then booking six new cleaners or recruiting six new cleaners not expressed in a KPI? Just trying to understand the difference between a rock and a KPI.
1: So it can also be expressed in there, but really a KPI is something you want to track weekly. So for an example, if that's the end goal By whatever means necessary, I need to achieve this rock of getting six new cleaners. That could be redoing our recruiting funnel to make it better. That could be personally onboarding the cleaners to make sure it gets through. A KPI for something like that might be X number of interviews per week. So we're trying to get 10 second-round interviews per week because we know if we do that, we'll be able to track towards hitting six new cleaners per quarter. So that would be more of a specific scorecard which is what feeds into this overall rock. Now it doesn't have to be, right? It could be something like implement this new software which has no KPI attached to it, but this happens to be a rock which is very relevant for our company's health. So therefore it's tied to the scorecard.
0: This feels like it would actually it would discipline me more than my staff because I'm always tossing out project ideas to see what sticks, and it feels like there's some accountability on the part of the entrepreneur here too where If you're going to put a rock on someone's plate, like you kind of have to stick with it and you have to have a stronger thesis than just tossing out ideas.
1: Yeah. And your team is going to hold you to it every week and you could track on your team where they are, right? If they're always falling behind, you could say, Hey, let's have another meeting. Let's create a plan for how you could achieve your rock. So it does hold a lot of people accountable. One thing that we've added to our rock stand, which is also kind of good for company culture. We added personal rocks, which people seem to love your quarterly goal on a personal level. I'm going to have smoothies three times a week. I'm going to go work out. And if your team member doesn't do it, there's a bet involved with it. So you can add some personal culture into the EOS system and kind of make it your own. And that's what I like about it.
0: Let me take a moment to talk about our recruiting services at Dynamite Jobs. If you're thinking about hiring, our team can help you be more strategic if you're in the middle of a time-consuming candidate campaign, we can take it off your plate. And if your HR team is having difficulty delivering the right team members, we can be their support. See strategy, positioning, promotion, filtering, interviewing, and assessing. They're all a tremendous amount of very important work, even for organizations with seasoned HR teams. But our expert team does it every day all day. And it's not just our expertise you'll be accessing. We run one of the largest remote job boards and databases of qualified candidates on the web. Why not work directly with a team who hires hundreds of A players annually for businesses just like yours. So if you run a remote first company, we can help you grow faster and smarter. And the best part is we charge just one simple flat fee for every hire. And with Dynamite Jobs Recruiting, your results are guaranteed. To learn more about how we can help you grow, head on over to dynamitejobs.com and click on the hire with us link. The final step is to implement a level 10 meeting. So could you describe what a level 10 meeting is?
1: Sure. A level 10 meeting is a formatted timed meeting to go through the key issues for that week and report main KPIs for the company. For example, a level 10 meeting might start with five minutes on just celebrations, biggest wins, personal and professional for the week. From that, you usually go into scorecard reviews. So you look over the key pairs for the company so that way everyone knows every single week how the company's doing in terms of health. From that, you're going to go through rocks, which is when you are going to discuss all the projects your team's working on and how they're tracking towards those rocks. Someone's off track, you don't discuss it at the time. You simply put it on what's called the issues list, which I'll talk about in a second. From there, you just go through made team member updates saying, Hey, this team member is thinking about leaving, or this team member is taking vacation, or this customer has a problem. So you just describe what the issue is, put it down on the issues list. And what you have at the bottom here is a list of issues that you've accumulated from the top down of this meeting. And from those issues, you will decide what are the top three issues I'm going to talk about today with my team, which is going to make the most difference for the company. Right, This avoids you going through the process of like talking about something minor for 30 minutes, which isn't going to make any real difference in the company. Which happens all the time. All the time. Or you start the meeting with a bunch of small talk and it goes for 15 minutes. You're kind of like, why am I having this meeting? This eliminates all of that because it's very timed. It's structured. You don't discuss anything at the time. You push it all to the issues list and then you decide the top three things. It's kind of like the one thing right, where you decide what is the one biggest thing I could do which could make the biggest difference in my life and my company. That's kind of what the issues list is. And so after 90 minutes, you're off the phone. You cut it off. You cannot go beyond that.
0: And how did team members respond to this when you implemented it?
1: This was probably one of the easier ones to implement. I think people liked the idea of having a structured meeting. I'm not sure about you, Dan, but I normally hate meetings, right? It just feels like, what are we doing here? This is counterproductive. And I think... Being able to push people down the flow of the meeting keeps people on track. For example, if a team member is kind of talking a little bit much, we say, hey, we're on a timeline. We have five minutes for this topic. Let's keep moving. So I think this was the easiest one to implement, actually.
0: And what were the sticking points? What did people push back against the
1: most? I think the hardest parts to implement with the team were two things. One was the rocks, and one was the quarterly review structure with the core values. It felt kind of clunky. It felt like kind of awkward. For example, you're talking about the core values and grading people on it. It feels a little bit awkward. It's highly personal. It's something we haven't really done before. We usually would just talk about their job role, but now we're talking about them personally, the values, if they violate any values. And then we're also talking about the job. So sometimes it is a little bit harder to define and that's something I'm still working on getting better at with the core values. Even two years down the line, it is a little bit clunky for me. The rocks is always a little bit tough because a rock has to be measurable. And you have to hold people accountable to it. If you don't hold people accountable to it, and they could just say every week, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, it doesn't really accomplish what you want. So you need to make sure the rock is something that can be accomplished and that you're holding people accountable to. And that's kind of awkward to begin with.
0: How many rocks does somebody get? This idea of like, well, if I'm going to be held accountable for all this stuff, how much resources do I have?
1: What I do like about this system is that you've identified what are the main things we need to accomplish To get us to our goals. And usually it's going to be like one main thing per person, then you have a couple other rocks for yourself. So each person on the management team probably is going to have around three to maybe four rocks. Sometimes, if one rock is big, they might only have two. But what's cool about this is the quantity doesn't matter because it's like 20% of the actions are going to result in 80% of the yields, right? So if you know already, that if you accomplish these big hitter items, it's going to move the company forward. So if we just even had one rock, but actually knocked it out of the park, it's going to have bigger yields than having five rocks. So the quantity doesn't matter as much, but typically you're going to have between two to four per person.
0: You mentioned that your main takeaways from phase four, which is how do you track the performance and know when it's working, is essentially that 80 20 principle, which is identifying the one to three things that are going to move the needle and focus 100% of your energy on that. But it's sort of implicit in the theory that you don't always know what those things are. So I'm assuming, in some ways, like, there's a lot going on a lot of KPIs, there's a lot of rocks, a lot of projects, a lot of accountability, what you're actually doing is just accelerating the amount of shit you're getting done more systematically. And then you're stumbling forward in a way that's more effective.
1: Is that fair to say? I would say it's very fair to say it is very tough, especially you know, if you're a small company. You see this big system and you kinda of think, I don't really need this, I don't even know what my rocks are, or I don't know what to track, I don't know the health of my company. That's okay, right? As long as you have a loose guiding point of where to go and you could have some idea of like, okay, let me start with number of ebooks sold. that would be one KPI, and you kinda of go from there and build it. It takes time. It took us over a year to figure out what the true company rocks are. And look, even for our franchisees, I force them to go to the EOS system and they have to report on the scorecard items I tell them. A lot of them aren't relevant for the size they're at, but they're going to track towards it. And it feels awkward at first, but they're going to get there over time. I think there are certain things you can implement in EOS which are going to have outsized returns compared to something else. And that's kind of why I always say, I don't think you need EOS as the brand name as an operating system, as long as you have a operating system. I think for us, the biggest takeaways and what's actually worked has been the data tracking has been making each job to have a measurable with it so so team members know how they're performing, having quarterly goals or rocks in line with what the company vision is, and having a framework for weekly meetings and quarterly reviews. Those are the big takeaways and things which actually have worked. And those things you don't necessarily need EOS for, as long as you can implement those things from the beginning.
0: Now, Neil, you've set a world record today on this podcast. I'm not sure if you're aware, but you've talked about traction for nearly an hour without mentioning that you are a visionary. <laughs> There's this uh, distinction between visionary and integrator. Can you talk about what that is and what the relevance is to the system?
1: Sure. A visionary is someone who casts the path forward for a company. So I'll give an example of that we always use in our team. Imagine you're on a, a pirate boat, a boat, right? And you have the captain up top casting for the vision saying, hey, look, the treasure in the island's over there. That's the visionary who knows the path to get there and who could see everything happening. Under that, you have an integrator that'd be let's say the captain's assistant or i'm not sure the, the, the actual term for it the navigator let's say the navigator someone who's directing the flow of traffic i as the captain would say hey we're heading over there that's where the treasure is the person under me says okay to get there i need x y and z oarsmen. i need this sale i need x whatever it is to actually achieve that goal but so you need someone who's actually casting forward for where you're actually going to go then someone who's going to help you execute that down to the lower level
0: And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, they read the book and they say, I don't have a system. I have a lot of ideas. I'm a visionary. I guess I need a GM. Is that sort of the punchline of
1: this? Sometimes I feel like people like saying they're visionaries because it sounds easier, right? Like I do the ideas and you do the work, right? Like I'm going to map out how to clean this room. You actually clean it. It's not. That's (laughs) not how it works, actually. In reality, that's an ideal scenario. The visionary is going to cast a vision, but unless you're a massive company, you're going to be integrating a lot of this yourself, too. Now, you could have someone to help you execute it, right? That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have someone who's a full-on integrator at all times. You are going to have to do this yourself at many points, but you have to realize what your strength and weakness is. So, Dan, I think the biggest takeaway is just understand which one you are so you could help plug the whole a little bit and know who you need to hire, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to hire a full-on integrator full-time to help you out. Because the reality is you probably can't afford it to begin with.
0: Is the book called Traction because it only makes sense for companies that have product market fit?
1: The book is called Traction because the end goal of implementing EOS is that you finally get traction and really push forward what you want. I would say a full-on EOS system is not relevant for companies who are still trying to figure out where they are in the market or don't have a massive team. It is very people-focused. So maybe you're trying to figure out where you're going in the market, but you still have a big team. I'm thinking a lot of VC-backed companies have a big team, don't really know where they're doing in the product market, but still have a team. EOS is relevant. So I'd say if you have people in your organization, that's where EOS is the most relevant.
0: If I'm running with a hair on fire from this interview, Neil, saying, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to implement Neil's version of EOS Lite, and I'm going to take these four phases. I'm going to cut out a lot of the elements of the book that are very complicated and just really focus in on my rocks, my KPIs, my level 10, and then getting buy-in from the team around the idea, sitting down with them. How long is it going to take me?
1: I would say if you want to implement EOS in your existing organization, the earliest would be two quarters. So you think half a year for implementation where people feel more comfortable with it actually just implement it to get going, you know, you could probably do it in under a quarter, right? That's what we did. The main things you need is like, you need to do work yourself, you set a vision, you know, you restructure the organization based on the accountability chart, this is kind of back end work you need to do, then you need to get people to buy into it. And then you need to implement level 10 scorecards rocks into your company. That takes a couple quarters at least because you plan that out on a per quarter basis. So for us, we didn't really feel comfortable with it until probably a year in. But the sooner you implement some of these systems into your your company from the get-go, it's just easier because there's not that resistance from your company saying, hey, I I, I don't know what this is. I'm resistant to change. So I'd say the sooner you do it, the better, but it is going to take two quarters, I'd say, to fully implement.
0: Okay. So you are still the GM of your business on a day-to-day basis. Most of us still are. I'm curious. How has your experience changed from almost like a lifestyle perspective, an emotional perspective? How's it feel to be an entrepreneur post EOS versus before?
1: I think I sleep better at night. And I say that because I know the health of my company. And I know the major things I need to do to get to where I am. I think the toughest part about being an entrepreneur is the unknown. If you don't know how you do and if you don't know where you need to go, it's kind of chaos internally. It's very tough. But at least for me, even though I don't have a full on GM, I know that my team is the right team. I know that they have the rocks they need to hit. I know that I have certain KPIs I could see how we're doing as a company, and I could save a lot of time every single week because all I need to do is look at the scorecard and see how we're tracking towards our goals and then reset new goals. So I've actually saved a ton of time. So I, I actually have not needed to hire a GM because I'm able to manage the just system just myself. Maybe at some point uh, I will hire a GM who can manage this system for me, but I also want to give them something to manage. And that's where EOS really comes into play.
0: One final question, and I'm asking you to be speculative on behalf of our audience who are just like you, we're practitioners in businesses, just asking for your opinion. Would you ever suggest at a certain level of net profit or revenue or headcount that a company just says, F it, we're going to pay the 30 grand or whatever it is from the best EOS consultant that we spoke with versus implementing EOS Lite and doing it yourself with your your top people and, and the book in hand.
1: Yeah, 100% would recommend that. I think if you have enough cash, speed is better, right? The sooner you implement this, you're going to eventually realize higher revenue, bigger cost savings, things like that. And if you're running a larger organization, Let's say you speed up things by a month. How much net profit is that for you? So at some point you're spending 30 grand, 50 grand, whatever it is on the consultant, but you speed things up by two months and save a lot of trial and error. That's worth it for you, right? If you're just starting out and you don't even have that much profit and you're not going to save that much by time collapsing what you're doing, it doesn't make as much sense. I used a consultant to help out with parts of it. I did not hire an EOS branded consultant, but I did use a consultant to actually speed things up because I didn't want to deal with the trial and error, right? It's too costly to mess it up and have to retool it all over again. You lose trust in the system from your team members and it's just harder to really push another system down to your team members.
0: What were some of the things that that consultant knew that would be difficult for you to know as a first-time implementer?
1: I think it would be just forcing me to sit with it and do it more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I've read the book. It was on my shelf for two years. I didn't do anything with it. <laughs> All of a sudden, if I'm paying someone a lot of money, for damn sure I'm going to be doing something with it. If I'm paying someone a lot of money, so I think for me that was the biggest thing is getting it off my butt and having someone shepherd me through the process to just getting it done.
0: That's very cool, Neil. Well, congrats. I uh, hope you come back in the future and let us know how it's going.
1: Thanks, Dan.
0: Shout out to my guy Neil Parekh for coming by the show. And for sharing the journey he's been on with Made This incredible, that old school services business brought into the modern age with strong systems, absolutely love it. Have you implemented EOS, love it or hate it? I'd love to hear from you. What do you think of this concept? Or do you have any other system that you think is a strong competitor and that we should take a look at here at the show? I'd love to hear from you, Dan at TropicalMBA.com. That is it. I'm going to go pack my bags. We'll be on the road for the next couple of weeks.